Hello, everyone. I am Tim Phillips, President of Americans for Prosperity. Thank you for joining us on a very special Facebook Live uh, with one of the leading United States senators uh, up there, and that's Senator Steve Daines from the great state of Montana. Senator Daines, first of all, thanks for the job you're doing in Washington and for taking the time with us today. Tim, I'm glad to be here in Washington and glad to be with you as well. Thanks. Absolutely. I, I've traveled across Montana with you on occasion uh, and, and watching you perform and thanks for what you do. And uh, we'll get right into it. Just recently, uh, the administration, the Biden administration put forward this $1.9 trillion spending boondoggle, really. I don't know what else would, would you would call it. It supposedly confronts the pandemic, but it's not about that. Such a tiny percentage of it. Give us a sense, a snapshot, Senator, of the of the worst elements of that bill that just rolled through the Senate and the House and is signed by the president. Yeah. Well, Tim, um, when you have somebody like Bernie Sanders saying it's the most progressive piece of legislation he's ever voted for, that tells you how bad this bill um, is. So you start with the fact, Tim, we had a trillion dollars left over from the prior COVID packages that were yet to be spent. We didn't just make some common sense in terms of trying to be somewhat fiscally responsible to say, why don't we retarget that first? Maybe we, we send a, a half of that back to the taxpayer, back to the debt. And because I don't think you needed more than probably three or four hundred billion dollars, probably what was needed here to finish off really the vaccines and those really targeted COVID related remaining items. But instead, um, because they had the votes in the Senate and the House and the White House, they launched this one point nine trillion dollar. It's really a liberal wish list. It's a liberal dream list in many ways disguised as a COVID uh, package. I mean, there's so many places we could start to talk. Let's first talk about the blue state bailout. $350 billion. You know, we've got a great governor there in Montana, Greg Gianforte, who won his election in November, fiscal conservative uh, business guy. We work together in the software business together. I just talked to Governor Gianforte here this weekend, and he told me, he said, Steve, I can't cut taxes because of what happened with this bailout. They put strings attached to those dollars they're sending out to the states, which Montana doesn't need it. And he says, I, I want to cut taxes with it. He says, no, they put a mandate in place that they can't cut taxes until 2024. But furthermore, the majority of our states, if you look at 2020 versus 2019 tax revenues, the majority of our states, Tim, despite COVID, actually collected more tax revenues than 2019. Many states ran surpluses, including California. And so this is really all about sending dollars to states like New York, Illinois, and California to bail out prior fiscal uh, indiscretions where they've been spending more money than been taken in here to try to help these states bail out their, uh, their prior balance sheets. But then you start to take a look at all of these line items in there that had nothing to do with COVID. Some of these pet projects for Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, not to mention this $4 billion that will forgive loans, USDA loans to farmers. Now, not only do they forgive the loans, but then they put a 20% cash bonus of whatever the loan was in the pocket of the farmer. So if you had a $200,000 USDA loan, the loan's forgiven, and you get 40,000 bucks in your pocket. Now, here's the kicker on that one. 
it was solely based on race. They call it socially disadvantaged would be eligible. So that means anybody but a Caucasian farmer or rancher. So you could be a wealthy Hispanic farmer in California, you're eligible. You're a poor farmer in Montana, you're not eligible. It, it had nothing to do with need or means. Yeah, so much in this bill. And we could, we could go on and on and on about it. I, I think about another element of it. They claim it was for the pandemic, Senator Daines, but yet they stacked the spending into fiscal year 2022, 2023, 2024. Uh, yeah. You're right. It's so well, well, on, on that, one of the questions that, that uh, parents are having, first of all, is how come our kids aren't back in school in the classroom? I mean, that's the first fundamental question. Right. But, but then the, uh, the, the liberals put in billions of dollars for students for education. But here's the other kicker. You read the fine print. 95% of those dollars can't be spent until 22 through 28. So if this is COVID relief. Why wouldn't you want to make sure it's mostly spent now when the need is greatest? Because we're going to be, I think we're going to be around the corner in this pandemic by the you know, back half of the year. So there's one more example where this we're using the COVID pandemic as really cover to drive the liberal wish list and their massive spending. And the victory lap, the political victory lap that the president is on is not over. And yet they're already talking about the next spending bill. They're calling it an infrastructure bill. Yeah. And they're talking about it being, if I'm not mistaken, Senator Daines, multi-trillion dollars. And this time they're talking about tax increases, driving up the corporate rate, driving up individual rates. Do you have any intel, intel on kind of where that's going? You know, well, what we're likely looking at in this next yeah. phase. Well, just as we saw happen with the liberal wish list on their their so-called COVID package. You know, Tim, as being a, a Montana, I love to hunt fish and spend time outside. You know, when, when you hunt, sometimes you dress up in camel to disguise yourself. <laughs> That's what the Democrats are doing, the liberals. They're disguising, <laughs> they're disguising these packages, trying to, trying to fool the American people that somehow these are bipartisan, uh, you know, uh, reasonable comments and proposals. Well, let's talk about this transportation bill. This is, this is now just disguising tax increases. And so here's what I'm hearing is that corporate rates go probably back up to 28%. Remember, in 2017, we cut corporate rates to get them back into kind of the, the OECD, the, you know, the looking at, at our competition globally to make sure we were competitive as America, because ultimately this is about global competitiveness. You know, why do jobs leave our shores? Why, why do we have crazy tax policies on you know, repatriation of dollars here to incentivize capital to stay offshore versus bringing it back onshore? Often it's because of tax policy. So we cut taxes, just like John F. Kennedy, by the way, did, Ronald Reagan did, and President Trump did. It's proven you cut taxes, you stimulate the economy. That's just an economic fact. And President Trump proved it one more time with the Republican Congress. Cut taxes, you stimulate the economy. You drive real wage growth for the people that need it the most on the lower end of the economic spectrum. You, you uh, reduce unemployment. You, you saw what happened here just prior to COVID. We had record levels of wage growth, record low unemployment, and then COVID hit. It kind of uh, shadowed what the results were of that last tax cut. Well, here's where it's going. Though. It's not just corporate tax rates. I think you're going to see rates on the individual side. You're going to see rates on capital gains go up. You're going to see the death tax 
the scope of that increased. We'll wait to see the specifics there. I think that's one of the most immoral taxes on the books, by the way, is the death tax. It's taxing, taxing somebody twice on, on what they have earned and want to pass on to the family. Isn't that part of the American dream to be able to, to grow a business, have a ranch or a farm operation here, to get out of debt and pass this on to the next generation? But then there's the tax man standing there asking for a big chunk, but it's just morally wrong. Uh, and, and so I, I think, we, oh, by the way, on pass-throughs, on, on uh, uh, LLCs, uh, Chapter S's, the small businesses, those who are listing who are not C-Cores, they have businesses, but they're, they're smaller businesses, uh, we call them pass-throughs. That's something I fought hard for back in 17 to get tax relief there because that's one of the fundamental engines driving this economy and jobs. Guess what? That's on the table. I think you're going to see some of those tax cuts uh, either uh, done away with or, uh, or, or significantly diminished. Yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen watching, uh, at Americans for Prosperity, we have field staff and offices across the country, literally from Anchorage, Alaska to Miami, Florida, from Arizona to New Hampshire. And I'm in Minnesota today with our teams and everywhere in between. Get involved in these efforts to stop some of these terrible policies coming out of Washington that Senator Daines is talking about. In the link here on the Facebook Live, you'll see the I Volunteer link, I Volunteer link. Click on that. Literally, it takes about 45, 50 seconds to make your voice heard to your legislators to, to get involved in our community locally with activists and AFP field staff and Libre field staff. I hope you'll do that. Now is a big moment for the country. We just saw this $1.9 trillion uh, spending boondoggle pass, despite the, the good efforts of Senator Daines and others. Uh, we've been discussing this next spending bill. Uh, there's so much happening. Now is the time for you to get involved. And Senator Daines, I, I wanted to ask you about that for a moment. You know, a lot of times I'll talk to folks out uh, across the country and they'll say, you know, I don't know if my voice really matters. I, these, these folks in Washington, they, they know how they're going to vote. But I, I used to work on the Hill back in the day, Senator. And I know that every member that I talked to kept a running tally of the contacts for and against different pieces of legislation because you know they want to get reelected again. They it's you know they, they listen, even if perhaps they already have their mind decided on a piece of legislation, they still pay attention to folks' voices back home. Is it still that way? Do your colleagues still does it still matter when someone picks the phone up or? does a personal email or, or makes their voice heard? It matters a lot. And, and Tim, you know, I, I, I spent 28 years in the private sector growing businesses. Uh, and then I came back to Washington and I, I, we try to bring a perspective and an attitude of customer service to government. My customers are the people of Montana. When my customers speak, we listen. It's really important. You know, th think about what happened back in 2000 and, uh, eight, nine, when Barack Obama was president, when they passed Obamacare. And it really uh, motivated so many Americans here to get involved. It really, in fact, it kind of launched the whole Tea Party movement, if you remember back then. It did, yes. wave that in 2010 was one of the greatest shifts in power we've ever seen in our country in the U.S. House. Republicans picked up 63 seats and they swept Nancy Pelosi, you know, out to sea and, uh, and, and the Republicans took over the gavel. And then that was the midterm of Barack Obama in 10. Remember the midterm of 2014? That's Obama's midterm. That's the year I got elected to the Senate. We picked up nine seats that night and took the gavel out of Harry Reid's hands and put it back in Republican hands. 
And so these calls, the activism, I, I can't overstate how important that is to get in touch with your members. And I think it's really important, start first with your own members of Congress and in the Senate. Start there because I, most offices do take a look at, are the, is it an in-state call or an out-of-state call? So you look at both, but I'll tell you what, when you're in-state, it counts for a lot more. So don't, don't, uh, don't give up on your own members, put the pressure on. And lastly, if there's anything that's unpopular with the American people, it's tax increases. Yes. So the, the Democrats are about to go down a path here to raise taxes. We've got to hold them accountable for that. And, uh, and, and get active now and put, put some fear into them, frankly, about don't go down that path. I, we need to find a way to stop where they're headed right now. It is not a good thing for the country. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. And uh, I, there's been talk this week, I noticed, from Senator uh, Majority Leader Schumer from New York and also uh, Dick Durbin from Illinois talking about ending the filibuster. Now, that sounds like a, you know, kind of an insider term in Washington, D.C., and folks may be wondering, well, does it really matter? Or, But Senator Daines, could you take a moment and, and perhaps discuss uh, why that's a bad idea? Why, if suddenly it's stripped away, what, what the kind of legislation and the kind of impact it could have on the U.S. Senate, but also our country? Well, let's step back and, and look at the state of play. Um, if bad legislation is passed, uh, majorities go back and, right, we've seen in history, by the way, the Democrats have had majorities a lot longer over history than Republicans had. But when majorities go back and forth, like we've seen what happened uh, past November, is we cut taxes, and now the Democrats are going to raise taxes. If we get the majorities back down the road, we'll go back and we'll cut taxes. So at least we can change bad policy, but it takes some time and there's some pain involved with having to live with bad policy. Here's my fear, Tim, about what's going on right now in this quote filibuster argument. And what this really means is taking the threshold to get something done in the Senate from 60 votes down to a simple majority of 51. Remember, we're in a 50-50 Senate. And keep in mind, the, the, the margins between controlling whether on the Republican side versus Democrat, very, very thin. I mean, it was, it was 14,000 votes in Georgia on, in November, and David Perdue would have won that seat. We would hold the Senate right now. We, we would not be having this conversation. It was 32,000 votes in the House separated Nancy Pelosi from being Speaker of the House and not. 32,000 votes. And for the presidency, it was about 43,000 votes across three states, Arizona, Georgia, and Wisconsin. So if you take 90,000 votes across the country and move them, now I know it's could have, would have, should have, but it shows you how narrow it is and why activism is so important by what, what you all do here. One day at a time, one call at a time is so important. But here's what happens if they go from 60 votes to 51 in the Senate. That, that's what we call the nuclear option or eliminating the filibuster. It, it's, you know, I, I fear, you know, tax increases, more spending, um, infringement on our Second Amendment, all, all the things that we, we care about in terms of limited government. But what they could do to fundamentally restructure the country here's what they would do. They move forward with DC statehood. Why? It gives them two liberal senators forever. They would move forward then with Puerto Rican statehood. Why? It gives them two liberal senators forever. So if you add four more liberal senators to the mix, it's very difficult to ever take Chuck Schumer away from being majority leader, probably for decades, uh, or whoever succeeds uh, Chuck Schumer. The other area they would change is the Supreme Court. 
where they would either uh, stack the court, add more justices, or they would completely restructure the fact that Supreme Court justices aren't lifetime appointments. They would think about some other way to structure the Supreme Court to drive their liberal agenda. Those genies can't be put back in the bottle, Tim. You know, we can we can rein tax increases back in. We can take regulations and push them back in the bottle. Um, we, 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 we can uh, change a lot of policies with majority change, but those things we can't change, Tim. That genie's out of the bottle and they forever have command and control and power in Washington, D.C. That's what's at stake right now. Yeah, and you know, I know sometimes when, when people hear, oh, it's just a parliamentary change, it's just a tweak to Senate rules, it's archaic, but what you're expressing, these are fundamental changes uh, to, the, to, the, to the political structure of our country at that point, especially if you begin adding Supreme Court justices and, and things like that. So it's a sobering moment. And folks watching, you also may want to begin talking, or, or not may, I would urge you to begin talking to your senators, reaching out to your two United States senators. You can use that I volunteer link. Uh, to make your voice heard on the filibuster as well. It's, it's a big issue. If I might put a plug in for that too, Tim, um, the, the, the two senators right now that we need, that need to be heard from uh, in terms of their constituents, it's West Virginia and Joe Manchin on the filibuster and it's Kirsten Sinema in Arizona. Um, I, I would hope that everybody talks to their senators, period, about preserving the filibuster. And it's Democrats that want to blow it up right now. But in particular, if you are in West Virginia or in Arizona, pick up that, that phone right after you're done listening to this and make your voice heard, if you would. Yeah. No, thank you for that. It, it is. It's a big moment. We, we've been talking a little bit about that very point, that it's a big moment for the country, Senator Daines. I know you were in business, but when I've been in Montana, I run across Montanans all the time who, oh, I know they, they know you from your business background when you were working and building and creating jobs in the state, and now you're the United States Senator. Uh, but it's a big moment for the country right now, is my sense. You know, we're, we're battling our way out of a pandemic that we haven't seen the likes of really in our nation's history, given the response to it from the federal government and a lot of state governments. Uh, we have policy moving potentially in Washington, DC that uh, can change the very nature of the relationship between citizens and government. Uh, it, it's a sobering moment. What gives you, because uh, I've been around you enough, I know you've got an optimism and a hope about you that's maybe a little different than a lot of political leaders I meet. Give yeah. us a sense of why you're still optimistic, why you're still very hopeful uh, about this country of ours and, and the direction we're on. Well, Tim, and, and I am because first of all, there's no greater country in the world. It's us. We're, we, yeah. we're, the, we're the hope. We're, we are truly the beacon. Everybody looks to us for where the world is going to head in terms of our, 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 uh, our optimism, our prosperity, and our fight for freedom and limited government. But two, two things, Tim. First of all, kind of goes back to the earlier conversation was what this shift in power is by the most narrow margins. I mean, it just was a, just 10 and 20,000 votes here and there. And we'd have a very different uh, landscape in Washington, D.C. today. So it was a really, really narrow outcome. In fact, most didn't believe that the House would be competitive right now. I mean, the, we almost got the House back, which nobody saw that coming. And the Senate's 50-50. You go back to 2008, really the Senate was 60-40. We were, we, that, that, that was a, a pretty big hill to climb. 
and we kept chipping away. We picked up six seats in 2010 and then nine more seats in 2014. We got the Senate majorities back to stop it. And by the way, having those majorities were just incredibly important for us to protect the Supreme Court, circuit courts, all the conservative judges put on the bench that believe in limited government and, and our, our, our textualists, originalists, at least the Constitution, really, really important. And those are lifetime appointments. But what gives me great hope is, you know, you look to the future, the American people, this is still a center-right country, and they don't want to see this country go far left. They saw that under Obama, and man, the waves came crashing back on the shore and swept a lot of these folks out of power in profound elections. And it seems like the left never learns. They're going to keep putting their heads down, marching forward with their anti-energy, uh, high-tax, uh, anti-America agenda. And, uh, and I, I think there'll be consequences for that, Tim. So I, I'm optimistic going into 22 and 24, as we've looked at the maps, uh, there, there are better days ahead for us, uh, for sure. Uh, well said. And by the way, you mentioned the anti-energy agenda, sadly, of this administration and more broadly of the majorities in Congress right now, even though it's narrow. I saw firsthand the devastation that's wreaking. I was in Nebraska, uh, I was in the Dakotas, uh, these Keystone pipelines being overturned is hurting not just American energy independence, but people whose businesses and livelihoods have been built around this upon an assurance of this moving forward. I was in New Mexico when that Permian Basin and, you know, the Biden executive orders that basically are, are crushing a lot of the energy exploration on federal lands that hurts the people in New Mexico. And that's already a state struggling with poverty and trying to move forward. And I talked to so many New Mexico citizens who are hurting as a result. So these ideologies that are driving these wrongheaded policies in Washington from the left, they're hurting real life folks from across the board. And I, I hope these political leaders, Senator Daines, begin understanding that at some point on the left. I, it, it boggles my mind, Tim, that Keystone Pipeline decision by President Biden, which happened, by the way, six hours after he was sworn in, his executive yeah. order. I, I think it's classic virtue signaling. There, there's no rational science-based reason to stop the Keystone Pipeline. Tim, I'm a chemical engineer, and that was my original training. You look at the data and the science on that pipeline, it actually reduces carbon emissions because if you don't run in a pipeline, you run it by rail or by truck, which actually emits more carbon for what it's worth. Not to mention it's the safest way to transmit a liquid and, and uh, the tax revenues that it would generate for some of these impoverished Eastern Montana counties that are struggling right now. And, the, and then the jobs, I mean, here's the irony. You know, we've, we, as conservatives, we've been accused of being, you know, the parties of the rich and famous. Let me tell you something. It's the left now that are fighting on behalf of the rich and the famous. It really is. We are, we're fighting for principles that, that lift up the working men and women of this country with real wage growth. These energy jobs are incredibly important for high wages, not to mention national security. You know, Tim, we remember the 1970s what happened when we were dependent on the Middle East and the Arab uh, oil embargo, the war of Yom Kippur against Israel, oil prices went up, inflationary effects hit the economy. We had 18.6% 30-year mortgages in 1981 when Reagan took office. Think about those days. And now where we're at here, where we are energy independent, in fact, we actually export energy now, the stability of energy prices, robust economy, what the liberals are doing, these big government thinkers are taking us backwards, not forwards.
Oh, that's so well said. Senator Steve Daines from the great state of Montana, thank you for joining us today uh, and for what you're doing. Tim, thank you. Keep up, keep up the good fight. <laughs> you bet we will. And ladies and gentlemen watching, get involved. It's a crucial moment right now. Senator Daines just told us about that, some of the policy threats, and there are opportunities out there as well uh, to do good things. And we're working on that as well. But Americans for Prosperity, get involved with us. Uh, our goal is simple. We want every American to be able to live the American dream. Freedom, prosperity, and the chance to, to, to take that next step for themselves and the people they love. That's what we're about at Americans for Prosperity. Many of you are already involved. For those of you who are kind of watching and deciding, click that I Volunteer link. We would love to have you. And it is certainly a big moment for our nation. I'm Tim Phillips, president of Americans for Prosperity. Thank you all. Good day.